What time is it? Hello and welcome to the Bible Dig Godcast, a fun-filled exploration of archaeology and the Bible. And now, here are your hosts, author J.S. Earls and attorney Peter A. Papoutsas. Now we're going to share with you some clips from a speech by one of the uh, scientists at the Ark Encounter, which is also related to the Answers in Genesis organization, which is a young earth creationism group that also has a creation museum. There's a whole bunch of stuff they get into and just going to put in some of the best clips and let you guys enjoy. Well, if you accept that the rock layers were laid down over millions of years, they're the evidence for the millions of years, then that means Noah's flood could not have been global around 4,400 years ago, because if it was, it would have ripped up all those rock layers and laid down its own 4,400 years ago. So therefore, Noah's flood must have been just a local event. And by the way, this is what most of our Christian colleges and seminaries are teaching today. That Noah's flood flooded just Noah's little universe, the Mesopotamian Valley, essentially modern-day Iraq. But if Noah's flood was just a local event, there are some questions we need to be asking that just seem to be like common sense. For example, if the flood was local, why did Noah build an ark? Right? Couldn't God just do this? Hey, Noah, come here. I'm going to kill everything here. I need you to walk over there. Right? Just move, Noah. Get out of the way if it's a local event. Uh, if, if the flood was local, why did God send animals to the ark? They could run away from the flood or let them die during the local flood. There'd be plenty of others to reproduce after it was done. If the flood was local, why make the ark so big? We'll see here in a bit. The ark was huge. Why make it so big just for local critters? Or here's a fun question. If the flood was local, then why send birds to the ark? Birds can do what? fly away. They have no problem with a localized flood. And we could go on with questions like that. There are many others we could talk about. But most important of all is, what does God's word say? And we go to the text and we reverse this like this. Genesis 6, 13 and 17. God said, I'm going to put an end to all people. The earth is filled with violence. I will destroy both them and the earth. That's important. Hold on to that. I'm going to bring the flood waters over the entire earth, all life under the heavens, every creature with the breath of life, everything on earth will perish. The Bible really could not be more clear. It goes on to say in chapter 7 that during the flood, all the high mountains under the entire earth were covered by more than 20 feet of water. And then as a result of the flood, we see it tells us that every living thing died, everything on earth died, only Noah and his family were saved. The Bible could not be more clear. Think about it like this. This little cartoon brings home a good point. You got a father talking to a son who says, look at that beautiful rainbow. It's a promise from God that he'll never again flood the earth like he did in the days of Noah. And the son says, well, my Christian and college professor said that Noah's flood did not cover the entire earth. Well, he told you it's just a localized flood. That's what he said. So he believes that God promised never again to send a localized flood. If that's the case, then God has broken his promise numerous times over, and of course, that would not work. So that being said, there are certain questions we need to be able to answer from a biblical perspective. Questions like this one I kind of mentioned this morning, but go into more detail now. How did Noah get all the animals onto the ark? We hear this question all the time. I get this question all People ask me this all the time. And I tend to respond with two questions of my own. My first question is this. I ask how big was the ark. Most of the time they'll say, I don't know. I then ask, well, how many animals did Noah take onto the ark? 
Most of the time they will say, I don't know. I just know he couldn't do it. We've got to get rid of these fairy tale arcs that confuse so many people. No, the ark was huge. Over 500 feet long and 85 feet wide, 51 feet tall. It had three different levels. Literally a floating warehouse, just a huge structure. If you go to the ark encounter and walk around, you're going to get tired. Had uh, dimensions equal to a modern-day cargo ship to give the right balance of strength and comfort stability you would need during a global flood. And capacity equal to roughly around 500 railroad stock cars, which is like an eight-mile-long train. But then was it big enough? How many animals did he take? Well, the Bible is clear that Noah only took land-dwelling, air-breathing animals onto the ark. Also, for many good practical reasons, most likely God brought young adults to Noah to enter the ark, especially the bigger animals. We talked about that more in the dinosaur talk. And then maybe most important of all, I mentioned this this morning, the Bible is clear Noah brought two of each kind onto the ark. Not two of each species, but two of each kind. The Bible says this over and over again. And again, the word kind in the Bible, for the most part, is equal to about the family level of modern-day classification. You see, Noah, he just took two of the dog kind, two of the elephant kind, and two too many of the cat kind. Just two of the basic kinds of animals onto the ark. So how many kinds were there? How many kinds would Noah need to take onto the ark to to account for all the variations we see today and the extinct variations within the fossil record? A max number of kinds in a worst case scenario will be roughly around 1,400 total kinds. Average size of an animal a little bit bigger than a rabbit. Multiplied by 2, 7, or 14 to some, you're looking at three to 4,000 total individual animals in a realistic scenario. 5,000 in a bad case scenario, 7,000 in a max worst case scenario. And that's what we did with the Ark Encounter. And those 7,000 fit with no problem at all. Plenty of room left over for Noah, his family, food, supplies, no problem at all. Well, if you look in Genesis chapter 7, go to God's Word, verses 11 and 12, with the initiation of the flood, it says, On that day, all the springs of the deep burst forth, or broke open, and the floodgates of heaven were opened, and the rain fell 40 days and 40 nights. If you look at the language, springs of the great deep refers to subterranean water, water underneath the crust of the earth. And the Hebrew verb therefore, burst forth, means to break through and move catastrophically. And the Bible says, the crust of the earth cracked open, Moved catastrophically all over the earth, all on the same day. Let's think for a moment. What happens today when you move the crust of the earth just a little bit? What do you get? Earthquakes, tsunamis, volcanic activity, right? Guys, you're going to get earthquakes, tsunamis, volcanic activity on a scale we cannot even begin to fathom. It would be enough to destroy the world, which was the point of the flood. It's not only the mechanism of the flood, but it's also the duration of the flood. You look in the biblical account, the Bible tells us that the waters rose for 150 days. So for 150 days, the waters continued to rise. And then they received for another 150 days. So for 300 days, the waters covered the earth, moving back and forth with tsunamis, turbidity currents, huge tidal changes, moving mud, dirt, and minerals form the majority of your fossil record during those 300 days. Actually, the flood itself in total was over a year in length. What about, uh, where did the water go from the flood if it covered the whole earth? A common question we get, right? And also, think about why do we find marine critters fossilized on top of mountains all over the world? How do you get a fossilized marine critter on top of a mountain? 
Well, the Bible seems to imply how the flood ended in Psalm 104. Towards the end of the flood, the mountains rose up and the valleys sank down. As the mountains rise up, they carry with them the newly formed fossil record from the flood event. As the valleys sink down, the waters rest off into the newly formed ocean basins. Some say, okay, but what about Pangaea? You ever heard about that? One single landmass supercontinent? Well, the Bible seems to imply that as well. Genesis 1-9, God says, let the water be gathered to one place. If the water is in one place, that implies the land is in one place. And some say, okay, well then what happened? The flood. The fountains of the great deep, verse 4, cracking the crust of the earth, moving it catastrophically, causing continental sprint as opposed to continental drift. And by the way, you do the math. If you want to move a tectonic plate, long, slow, snail-paced processes do not produce enough energy to move a tectonic plate. If you want to move a tectonic plate, you need a catastrophic process that makes a lot of energy at one time to move those sorts of things, like you would have when it founds of the great deep, verse 4. If you think about it, too, a couple of amazing things about this historical event. First of all, it's obvious we see God's judgment on sin. Right, that's pretty clear. That's what's taking place. But don't miss his mercy, his providence, and his salvation. Because think about it. In that global flood, which was God's global judgment of sin, there is the ark of salvation. Within that ark are those eight people. From those eight people will come humanity later on. From that human line will come the Messiah later who provides salvation for our souls. So we see God's justice and his judgment, but also his mercy and his love in the same event in the flood. So cool to think about. Also, after the flood, is the perfect time for an ice age. <laughs> Who loves a saber-toothed squirrel? Don't be afraid. Don't lie. All right, bunch of heathens. All right, very good. Just checking. <laughs> it's funny, little critter. Uh, but there definitely was an ice age, no doubt about that. And here's the thing. To get an ice age requires a weird combination of events. You see, what you need, you need warm waters, warm oceans, to cause a whole lot of evaporation to get moisture into the sky, a lot of it. But then you need cooler continents for that moisture to come down in the form of snow and ice and to accumulate. So to get an ice age, you need warm oceans and cooler continents. That's a really hard thing to get, but that's exactly what you would have after the flood. Because of the fountains of the great deep bursting forth, that subterranean water closer to the mantle will be heated. Also, lava flows into the ocean will increase their temperature. The oceans will be very warm. And then because of volcanic activity, deer in the flood, throwing aerosols and dust into the sky, blocking sunlight, you're cooling the continents. As a result of the flood, you have warm oceans and cooler continents, exactly what you have for a flood. Computer simulations show with those conditions after the flood, you can get an ice age to roughly come and go in about 500 years after the flood. This ice age is really important for a couple of different reasons. Here's a couple of examples. One, during these ice age, since much of the Earth's water will be trapped in the form of land glaciers, that's going to drop the ocean levels all around the world. Drop the ocean levels and you reveal land bridges between the major continents during the ice age. So during this time, people and animals can easily migrate all over the world. As the ice age recedes, glaciers melt down, ocean levels rise back up, land bridges disappear, and certain animals get trapped in certain places. And maybe that's why we only find kangaroos in Australia, so forth and so on. Pretty cool. Also, people say, okay, well, that makes sense, but then can the flood really explain billions of dead things buried in rock layers, laid in my water, all over the earth? And indeed, it can. Remember that the rock layers and fossils exist in the present and must be interpreted with a worldview, as we talked about this morning. And the key is simply this. If you start with the wrong assumptions, you'll most likely get the wrong conclusions. Today, we have a special treat for you. We have a guest on the third episode of our Flood Arkstravaganza. 
Our special guest today is Steve McDonald. He is on the Strangers and Aliens podcast, which is a phenomenal podcast. Uh, you guys should definitely check it out. I will hand it over to Steve now. It's my show now. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No. Okay, so what we want to talk about is uh, basically flood geology. Um, when I... Sorry, I put the wrong Bible down. That's okay. Yes, I actually have two Bibles for this oh. podcast. It's that special. Um, when I look at uh, flood geology and the historicity of the flood, um, I think to myself, you know, let's use that historical, grammatical, grammatical, historical uh, concept and look at the actual Bible verse. So, um, is this poetry? No. Is this someone telling a parable? No. Um, you know, is it just a story? Is it a, a, a proverb? What is this? So we're, we're looking at this and seeing what it is, and it presents itself as history. So we say to ourselves, okay, so if we believe the Bible to be true, and it says it's history, it presents itself as history, so we just have to take it word for word and see what it says. And we can be assured that whatever it says is, at least when you look at it biblically, it's historically accurate. Okay, so um, I have Genesis 7. Um, I'm starting at uh, verse 18. It says, The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth. And all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upward, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. So he, meaning God, destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. So, if we're taking this as, as history, and we're trying to think to ourselves, was it a local flood? Well, first of all, the Bible doesn't present it as a local flood. I mean, you read those words, and it's pretty clear. He's like going over multiple times you know it's it it went above the high hills it went above the mountains um you know the all flesh died that moved on the earth uh you know and it, it keeps making sure that it's pretty clear that if you believe this histori historically that's what happened and i mean it, it was he was i think the bible is, says like 120 years that he was uh, building the ark with his with his family and and preaching to these people, right? Preaching to them, and how do you how do you preach in a way that's just sort of like you know, a God is is going to bring destruction around these parts. <laughs> you know, it, it's watch out uh, if you're close. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, and it loses the whole sense also of um, the the symbolism. 
that the that the ark gives and the symbol that the ark is a symbol of christ right so christ is what saves us um we need to be metaphorically inside christ inside his salvation inside his forgiveness and all that good stuff for us to be saved so anyone that didn't go in and it says god shut the door it didn't say that Noah shut the door. It says God shut the door. So anyone that didn't go in in enough time, they're, they're lost, metaphorically, and here in the story, literally. So if literally they weren't lost, it was just the people in this area or the people that just wouldn't, wasn't able to get you know, over that mountain, then that doesn't give the, the same symbolism that the ark presents in the Bible. It gives us a, a different type of symbolism that, you know, God is, is just a capricious type of a God that would, you know, kill some people locally just because the person that he saved didn't give the people enough information just to go a little bit further away. I mean, it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, so, you know, when we have that symbol of salvation in the Bible, that's always a good thing to to preserve as well. Uh, we want to <laughs> really want to make sure that you know Noah is not seen as as some monster, right? Um, so people they have a lot of uh, misconceptions as well about um, about different things that that have to do with this. Um, and we want to sort of make sure that those things are answered as well. Um, you know, and especially like the types of things where is this actual, is it presented as history? A lot of people have uh, a problem with Genesis one because, uh, they've been taught that it is poetic. And if you know, that much about Hebrew poetry, how it's presented in Hebrew history, how it's presented in, you know, written forms. Um, it's, it's pretty clear that Genesis one isn't presented as poetry, it's presented as, as history, as, you know, something that's sequential that's happening. Uh, and again, when you have the whole Bible as basically, you know, the words of God, the words of Jesus, then wherever it refers to the seven days of creation as seven days, I mean, uh, in the Ten Commandments, it says because God created, you know, in seven days, we, you know, in six days, and he rested on the seventh day, that's why we have that seventh day. That's why we have a week. We have a seventh day that we keep holy. So, you know, there's, there's that that's very clear that, we have a seven-day week because God created through a seven-day week. Um, and a lot of people think that, well, the Israelites, you know, they probably weren't the smartest people in the world. Um, so, you know, God was just trying to dumb stuff down for them, just to, you know, give them the basic stuff so, you know, then they can make their own choices and do stuff. Because look what was happening when Moses was up on the mountain giving the Ten Commandments. They were down there and they made their own, you know, Aaron made the, the idol and they're all, you know, dancing around naked, worshiping this idol. And so obviously these were unenlightened people, you know, that's the argument. Right. 
so you know he was just dumbing it down and and just giving the basic stuff and and you know okay uh god created the world and then uh then he created the sun and then he created animals and then he created people you know so you're like okay well that's that's pretty but if you think about god as being obviously omniscient he created history even if you believe god started the big bang 13.8 billion years ago even if you think that he at least started it and is you know providentially doing things through time so you get to the point where he's talking to the Is- israelites and he hasn't had time to to like think out a better way to present genesis to them you know he could have said in the beginning uh god uh, created a a large banging noise and uh that created the chaos that came out of of nothingness because god is powerful enough to do that and uh god providentially molded the the nothingness into the chaos and he molded the chaos into uh uh big balls of uh the like the things you see in the sky and then uh, he he spun those things around and took some of that material and he made the 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 planet that you're on the you know the the earth and then from there he you know uh, used science things and cooled it and, and heated it and everything and then and then he started to create small things and then he created bigger things and then bigger things and bigger things and bigger things until he created you you that's understandable i mean if you're really trying to think of genesis in a big bang type of theory that's perfectly understandable but what did god give us he gave us in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth so at the very beginning we have no sun and no stars and no moon we have the earth <laughs> i mean it it doesn't make any sense if god says okay well i have to dumb it down to these people but i also have to make it sense to the people you know x thousand years from now after they've discovered science and they've uh, figured me out right you know I have to i have to be able to to uh, make it make it work for them too. So, you know, so he would tell more of a story like I told. And that way, when we got to this point, we could look at Genesis and say, oh, look, exactly. God is, is going right along with evolutionary theory and, you know, a, a cosmic evolutionary theory. So we're not given that. We're given what we have. It's presented as history. And so... Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so, you know, and then we get to the point where uh, we have Noah. And, you know, people think, well, it'd be ridiculous to have, you know, eight people and three of them women, uh, four of them women, by the way, you know, they're building this huge, I mean, this this huge boat. And first of all, you know, how big is a cubit and all that stuff? I mean, so picky. But then you say to yourself, you know, oh, it's it's 120 years they have to build this thing. So, I, you know, maybe eight people could swing it in 120 years. <laughs> I don't know. 
I think God knows exactly the time periods that people can do it. You know, it's not like he was telling Noah to hurry up or, you know, dropping some raindrops on his head to get him to hammer a little bit quicker or anything like <laughs> that. Um, so things that that people will bring up is, you know, well, what about the the seeming evidence, you know, like the Grand Canyon where you have these things, you know, obviously that it, those layers and layers and layers are you know, representative of, you know, ages in the world. But if you really look at them and you have an understanding, at least basically of, you know, archaeology and stuff like that, um, the, they're set down rapidly. The way that they're done is rapid. You know, the, the, the whole sequences of strata, you know, they call them sequences. Um, some of them are are bent, and they're not broken. I mean, they're rock breaks, right? You know, <laughs> uh, things like that. Um, you can tell that they're they're laid down rapidly in succession. So when you have the 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 you know the the underwater fountains of the earth bursting forth and and you know the, the way uh, a lot of people look at Genesis is this is where mountains came from, you know the the Earth was exploding and spitting these things up. Um, this is where you see. Oh, I wish I had my. I have a a, a map uh, thing that that shows you where um, these uh, supercontinents where they were placed in the the flood geology. Um, but you can see, you know, how the, the supercontinents were broken up and at the end of the flood, you have the world basically as it is nowadays before it looked very different, you know, but you have the, the earth basically exploding and pushing these things up and out and, and all this stuff. And you see, uh, you know, for instance, on the tops of mountains, thousands of, of feet above sea level, you have fossils of sea creatures you know, it's like they 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 can't just get there. You know, right. people don't bring them there and leave them. So, you know, where do they come from? Um, you know, even Himalayas. I mean, the the highest mountains in the world that you you can find fossilized fish, fossilized shellfish, things like that. Um, and the 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 way that uh, the other fossils are laid down. Um, you can, you can tell that they're rapidly done that you can tell that they're not just dead animals that, uh, whose skeletons, uh, weren't completely picked apart and, and, you know, used for other things by other predatory animals. They were actually, you know, f full animals. Sometimes there's an animal, eating another animal or, you know, seemingly two animals existing, you know, together and, and they're, they're fossilized that way. They're destroyed and, and fossilized and you have them that you can look at and say, you know, this is, this is obviously something that was done very quickly. It was, it was, you know, the, and the graveyard, there's uh, fossil graveyards where, you know, the, the fossils, the, the water was rushing so crazy over the world you're you're creating those uh the the geological layers uh because the water is, is rushing at, at such a, a mad pace 
um, the mountains are being formed and the the animals and, and things are being you know flushed to certain places where all of a sudden that's where that's where the the water is hitting some resistance that it's not you know, destroying and all of a sudden you have these these places with you know these fossilized grazi- graveyards um, things like that where these these are evidences that something really happened something that was catastrophic um if someone says you know are are those your best evidences well the best evidence is the bible and you can't force someone to believe the bible so this is what we get to work with this is one of the reasons why i like to preface the whole thing by taking someone out of their box and putting them in my box is because I see things in light of the Bible. Right. Yeah, you know, I I can look at the stratas and I can look at the fossils and I can look at all that stuff and and you know pick out little things for people to scratch their head about, but unless they actually look at it biblically, if they if they just give me that grace and say for a, for a minute, I'll look at things as if it happened over a six thousand year time span. I look at it as if. It was literal history in the Bible, and I'll just give you that grace, just out of the box, just you know, just for for a minute or two. Then people can sort of understand, and they might still have the yeah, but science says yeah, but this person says you know, and they can still do that, and it starts to generate the conversation. Because if you don't believe the Bible, you're not going to believe proof. Or evidences, if other people said that those evidences, you know, don't count. So, you know, if if uh, uh, Stephen Hawking says, you know, this happened and this didn't happen, so many people are going to say, well, you know, he's got an IQ close to two hundred. We'll believe him over some guy on a podcast. Right. Well, yes. But <laughs> if, if you just look at the Bible, just for a second, just for a second, and you read that the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom, is the fear of God. I don't know Stephen Hawking. I don't know if he's a Christian. I don't know if he has the fear of God. But whoever it is that we're putting our trust in, we should put our trust in people who fear God, who are Christians, you know, and if we're thinking biblically, if we really want to look at things biblically, we have to take away all that other stuff and say anyone that that says the Bible is junk, the Bible isn't history, the Bible is, you know, whatever, leave that to the side just, just, just for the sake of the argument. And let's just work with it this way. You know, is there any scientific proof that isn't completely secular that points one way or the other you know right Uh, some people some people think of it as like putting on glasses you know if you put on the glasses of the world you're still looking at the same evidence if you put on glasses that you know reach back millions of years and billions of years you're going to project that onto whatever you're looking at and if you're looking at it with glasses that only go back six thousand years you're going to do that too. We're in the same boat, you know, evolutionists and creationists. 
we weren't there. Right. We we don't know what happened at the beginning of time if we're just looking at whatever it is. We're looking at the beginning of time and what are we using as our basis for for reality? You know, if we look at it biblically, like I said, literally his, uh, uh, historical, grammatical historical, we can look at it and say, yes, that happened about 6,000 years ago. And that's the way we're looking at it. We have a definite way of looking at it that that works. It makes sense to us. If you're looking at it a different way through the eyes of secular science, then you have to say, yes, that happened 18 billion years ago. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, uh, no, the, the website just updated. It's uh, 14 billion years ago. Wait a minute. No, it's another saying 13.8. Oh, wait a minute. Something different now. So every time it changes, you have to you know, get a new pair of glasses or adjust them. I don't know exactly what the good metaphor for that would be. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the glasses, they're not accurate. They're, they don't work in that big sense. And if you are a Christian and, you know, like I said, Bible-believing Christian, you can believe that this happened over millions of years if you, if you, if you really haven't, you know, taken as, as deep a look into the, the literal grammatical historical method if you haven't looked at it that way, then you can still be a Christian and not believe everything that I'm saying here. I'm not saying that you can't be, but if you just take that extra step, you're going to start to think, oh, okay, well, if I tie my Christianity into evolution, so, you know, here's my, my uh, study Bible, and I'm going to look at uh, Genesis 1. And in the, the notes here, it says, uh, let's see, uh, Genesis 1. Uh, this happened 3.8 billion years ago. Okay, so that's what my, my... And then every single time it changes, and it does, you need to update that. You know, and every single time they find out, oh, stars formed this way instead of that way. You know, oh, uh, you know, the geology sort of points to a different thing. Oh, the uh, evolution of this thing, you know, the macro evolution uh, of this thing isn't the way that we thought. Then every single time you're going to have to shoehorn something else into your Bible, you know, into the notes or into whatever it is. And, and it, you're going to, it's, it's going to be a hash. Right. So, when evolution finally goes away, and it's not like I'm, you know, just trying to get rid of it or anything, I, I have a pretty good feeling that the the theory isn't going to last much longer. There's actually a lot of people in the, uh, the secular scientific community that don't even really consider, uh, you know, natural selection and and, you know, molecules to man evolution as sort of like the the uh, the be all and end all. It's just sort of like a, a working theory right now until we come up with something better. So as soon as that goes away, and you know you're well, now I have to throw away my whole Bible because my Bible was talking about evolution, and now I have to get a new Bible. And I made all those notes in it, and I put all those 
those church bulletins in there for bookmarks. I'm like, oh, man. You know? <laughs> so, you know, you, you can either tie yourself to that, something that, that changes. And, and just in my lifetime, admittedly, I'm elderly, but <laughs> just in, in my lifetime, it's changed, you know, and not just in small ways. I think it was like uh, when I was younger, I think it was like 16 billion or something like that. Yeah. So you think, well, 16 billion to 14 billion, it's only 2 billion, right? <laughs> it's but like it's like the budget the national budget exactly you know just just give me the same amount in dollars as the the, the how how much the age of the earth has changed since i was yeah. born till now. and i'll you know i'll, I'll just try to work through I'll, yeah you know, suffer through with that but you know it's 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 the type of thing i just saw the statistic i should have written it down i think it, it 11, uh, I think it's, if you have a, a million seconds, it's like 11 days or something like that. I could huh. probably do the math real quick, but I'm not gonna. Um, it's, it's you know, it, a million seconds is, is 11 something, but a billion seconds is like 33 years or something like that. If you do the math, someone do the math. I'm not going to do it right now, but if you, if you, Look at it that way. A billion is so much more than a million, right? That we can't understand it. If you, you know, I mean, it, even in ancient Greek, when we are looking in in the Bible and it uses the the term ten thousand, that was their term for an uncountable number. You know, right. it was like, you know, you you have uh, how many angels there are? Ten thousand times ten thousand. Oh, so there's the exactly you know that amount of angels. No, it's saying it's an uncountable number times an uncountable number. You know, it's a concept that we sort of lose that in the translation. Right. But nowadays, you know, if you ask someone, you know, quick, how many thousands is a million? You'll be like, like a hundred. No, it's more. I think it's uh, it's not ten. And you're like, what, how many thousands is a million? You, oh, it's a thousand. A thousand thousands. You know? And you lose the sense of it because your brain doesn't deal with thousands much. I mean, I guess you're, if you're an accountant or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But um, you know, it doesn't deal with, with that multiplied thing as much because we're used to hundreds. You know, how much is, is a thousand? How many hundreds is a thousand? Ten. You know, well, it's that ten hundred is a thousand. So ten thousand is a million? No, that doesn't work. So <laughs> you know, we're, we lose the concept real quick when the numbers get high. And nothing in history has a, a tag with a date on it. You know, we can't look at, at fossils and say, oh, this came from, you know, X amount of years ago because it has a little you know, tag on it. We don't have that. It's circular logic because they say this level, this strata existed 100,000 years ago. And this bone is in that strata. So the bone must be 100,000 years old. And then you say, well, how do you know that the strata is 100,000 years old? A hundred million years old or whatever, you can say, well, be, because that bone was in it and that bone was the same age. And then you say, well, how, how can you tell the bone's age? Well, because it was in that strata. 
and that strata was the same age because they're you know they exist together and you're applying this date to it you know where it's like i i'm having trouble finding anything which goes into exactly where they got these actual dates from you can't say it's radiocarbon dating because that only goes back thousands of years and if there was a huge geological event like the flood, it probably had some disruption and disruption and upsetting of the, you know, how that's measured. So is that as accurate as it, as it possibly can? What about polar shifts? You know, the, the magnetic fields, polar shifts, would that have had any, any, any effect? When you look at uh, radiometric dating, you're anticipating that the atmosphere was the same as it is today. So, I mean, we can tell uh, you know, <laughs> 200 years ago it wasn't the same. But we're anticipating that, you know, thousands of years ago or millions of years ago it was the same. We can't do that, you know. So we have to look at what real evidence we have. And like I said, I can't, I've never found a book, I've never found a website that talks about where they actually get the the hard dates that they present right it's it's all conjecture built on someone else's conjecture you know it's like if i said i'm 100 years old then you would say well steve says he's 100 years old so his son must be younger than that so he's probably 70 but you're only going on what i say so you know where where is the exact verification for these dates or where do they they even come up with the actual conjecture for these dates think of it this way too where we just talked about millions of years one million years ago if you started with a a viable group of people uh, human beings or pro human beings or whatever you want to call them you know a, a, you know that that the ape-like being that we're supposed to be related to that that's uh, you know the apes were also descended from whatever it is whatever you want to call it and you just took that you know group of 20 or 30 people and projected it forward a million years in time at a very basic rate of uh of generation so let's just say like 2.1 you know so every generation uh, you know, generates a, a few more people. Every generation generates a few more. It's not going to be a huge population explosion, but it's not going to be ZPG either, you know, zero population growth. So you give them just enough, and you can look in history and see what rates are of of human population growth, which is, you know, probably in the 2.1, 2.2 range, and project it forward, you would have... I don't even know, trillions, quadrillions of, of people on the planet just because that's how many people would would now be alive if you had that small group back then and just projected it a million years. Now, you take 7 billion people, which we have right now, close to 8 billion people, and project that back to, let's just say roughly 2500 BC where Noah's Ark and it was in that general area of time 
and you project it back to then, and you get back to a, a very small population, an incredibly small population, like less than 10, let's just say eight, um, you know, Noah and his three sons and their four wives. Uh, so you get an incredibly small amount of people at that time. So, you know, there's, I mean, you could say, well, maybe there were, you know, asteroids that destroyed the population every every so often or something like that. We have no proof. You know, there's no there's no way to account for the the uh, amazing amount of just human bodies, just human beings that would be on the planet. We don't have we can't account for that. And then take into account all the animal populations that would have had to exist you know, at the same time or whatever, and how they would have proliferated over just one, one million years, just one. And you think, you know, like we said before, you know, it's, it's just, you know, one million or two million or whatever. It's only one million difference, but that's one million years. And then another whole million years just to get back to two million. You know, it's not just right. one million and one. <laughs> it's one million and then another whole million years. And it's mind-boggling when you look at the mathematics of it. Um, so. Well, cool. I think you presented a pretty good case. Um, Do you have any questions or observations? or? <laughs> Uh, uh, nothing important. I was going to ask you things like, uh, I, I know a lot of, um, dancers on Genesis guys with the way that they're saying stuff, say that there were dinosaurs on the ark. Well, that's, that's a thing that there could have been if they hadn't died out before the ark times. I right. mean, it, it, it could have been that they were hunted to extinction. It was a you know, thousand five hundred years between Adam and Noah. Right. So, you know, they, they could have just hunted them to either extinction or to the point where um, they, I guess, you know, whatever. But there, there also could have been uh, the dinosaurs on the Ark. What they probably would have taken would be smaller versions of them. Right. You know, like yeah. just on the, on the verge of maturity. So they're not, you know, they're not going to take elderly uh, you know, lemurs and, and you know, right, old yeah. kangaroos and things like that. They're going to take ones that are going to be able to, you know, in a year from now, be able to produce, yeah. you know, other generations. Or even on the Ark, they probably had, you know, rabbits. <laughs> probably yeah. probably came out with a few more rabbits than they thought. Yep. Um, yeah, probably. But, you know, it's it's one of those things where it, you, can, you can say, uh, you know, oh, definitely there were dinosaurs in the ark or definitely they weren't dinosaurs in the ark you know my my view is more like in the middle where they they yeah. could have been there was there was enough room on the ark for for enough animals all the animals right and all the food that they needed for the animals and themselves and they they would have built more than eight rooms because he was preaching for 120 years to these people right he, he wasn't preaching like Jonah did, he didn't say, you know, repent or God will do this thing. Yeah. He said, repent because God is going to do this thing. Yeah. You know, so he had to anticipate that there were going to be more than, than eight people on the ark. 
So most likely they had like, like the, the top layer was probably all, you know, cabins for, for people who he anticipated being on the ark. So you, you have to think about that. Another thing that people bring up uh, when they're talking about stuff like this is, you know, well, Noah was what, 600 years old when he went on the ark and right. started it or, you know, all this stuff. And so how, how could they possibly have lived all those ages? And then all of a sudden we live to be 80 and we die. Right. Well, it's because uh, again, the genetics of the whole situation was bottlenecked. So you had at, uh, Adam living to be 900 years old and Eve probably similar. And then, uh, uh Abel lived to be, uh, he died. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> Abel lived a long, happy life um, <laughs> until he was killed in his youth. But, um, uh, Seth lived a long life and you know, all these, the, the patriarchs, the, the pre patriarchs lived these long, long lives, you know, 777 years and, and, you know, 365 years, even for, you know, some people, but you're like, Oh, that, that guy died young. But you know, it, what happened is that the most likely that the genetics were bottlenecked into these eight people and the, the way God worked it out was because it bottlenecked the potential for long lives s- drifted away. The I forget what the the word is, alleles maybe, but those those the the genetic potential for long life uh, stopped being part of the human genome. So you know if if fifty people were on the ark that might've been the, the tipping point or 30 people or a hundred people that might've been the tipping point that when people got off of the ark, that we still would have lived these prodigious long lives, but because it was bottlenecked into eight and, you know, in a real sense, because that's how God wanted it to work. But right. he works in, in genetics. He works in, in all these cool things. He's the best scientist ever. Um, that's how he worked it. He worked it so that those eight people, they lost the genetic potential to live long lives. And that's how it played out. Uh, I, I should get you a shirt that says, God, best scientist ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't uh, spur too many. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Um, well, <laughs> I guess I guess instead of rambling on anymore, um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not helping to cut this part out. But uh, I'll say the. I will say the recommendation. Is there anything else you wanted to uh, touch on, or are you pretty much done? No, I'm just starting. Uh, no, I think, I think, I think we can, and I think this might be a good thing to open it up to, uh, to other people who, you know, might have those different points of views, but at the very least, I hope people stepped out of their box just to be able to see that if you look at these things, the way that the Bible presents them, then you have to say at the very least, Yes, if the Bible is historically true, if the Bible talks about itself the way that it's, you know, all that stuff, if, then yes, I can see your your point of view. I can see that happening. I can see your interpretation of that. And if they're, if you're not a Christian and you're listening, I would say, I would just invite you, look at the other parts of the Bible where it shows the prophecies and the history and 
that's the, the type of stuff that proves that the Bible can be trusted. And if the Bible can be trusted in those things, it can be trusted in the other things. And if you're a Christian listening to this and you, you know, you're like, well, I don't want to be ridiculed because, you know, people at my school or, you know, people at my work are going to think a certain thing. You know what? If you're ridiculed because of Christ, yeah, that's wonderful. There are people in the world who are killed because of Christ, right. who are martyred. It, it's an amazing amount. It's over 100,000 people a year who are martyred for just believing in, in God and the Bible. So you being ridiculed a little bit at work because, you know, you didn't know the answer to, you know, if, if uh, Adam and Eve had belly buttons or something like that. Right. Just look into it. Look in, read the Bible. You know, get a really good version of the Bible that it treats it in that literal way, but and not in such a literal way that it's that it's ridiculous. You know, I mean, <laughs> poetry is poetry is poetry. You know, it says that the heavens declare the glory of God, but the are the stars yelling down glory of God? No, it's <laughs> it's poetry. It's poetry. You know, the heavens declare the glory of God because you look up there and say, "There's nothing else that possibly could have happened." Unless you take the entire supernatural out of it, in which case, where did the nothing explode into something? Right. So there's just just take that step, and if you you know don't want to be ridiculed, look into it. Talk to me. I can give you some really quick references, some things that sort of shut people down. Right. You know, one of the, one of the, one of the best things is is trying to find out what came first. You know, for instance, uh, a giraffe, uh, if uh, if a giraffe, if something that size uh, bent its neck down to drink water, its head would explode because its heart has to pump blood all the way up to its brain. And right. if you tip the neck down, it's pumping. It's such a huge force. It has the, the highest blood pressure of any animal because it has to pump the blood all the way up to the brain. And it tips its head down to drink. That blood would be shooting out the top of its head, exploding out of the top of its head. And giraffes would die in the first generation. But they have a sponge in right around near their brain where the blood goes and it pools in that sponge until they put their head back up. And it's like, did the sponge come first? Or did you know enough giraffes have to explode their heads for them to say, Oh, you know what? We have to we have to evolve a sponge in our brain. You know? <laughs> it's like yeah. What came first, the the need for the sponge or the sponge? And they couldn't have come at the same time. So, I mean, and and nature is full of stuff like that. Uh, We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Definitely check out the Strangers and Aliens (laughs) podcast. I was going to say Strangers and Things. (laughs) (laughs) Strangers and Things. (laughs) I like that. Definitely check that out. And uh, I want to say thank you to Steve for being on the podcast. I'm sure we'll have Steve on again sometime. We'll try to get some other Strangers and Aliens on here, too. Uh, and And we'll try to get over there, too, and do some stuff. For more info on the Bible Dig Godcast, please visit the Bible Dig Facebook page, where you'll discover a treasure trove of photos, the latest archaeology finds, and our monthly Bible study. And remember, when in doubt, just get 
diggy with it. Trying to figure out which ones of you would be strangers and which ones would be things. I think Ben would be a thing since he likes Swamp Thing and Man Thing. Yeah, definitely. He'd be a thing. I don't think I could be any stranger. Yeah, I don't know about Evan. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> He's the and. He's um, the and for stand. Yeah. I'd like to read this one book uh, in its entirety. It's only 372 pages. <laughs> Chess Saga rocks. Chess Saga rocks. <laughs> cool stuff.